Hello, my name is Adam Eason and welcome to episode 70 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome indeed to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a real beauty of a show lined up for you today. In a short while, I will be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest, Sean Schwire. Then, instead of the usual hypnosis in the news section, I'm going to froth at the mouth, foam at the mouth about the cult of anti-intellectualism in the field of hypnotherapy. I'm going to talk about whether there is actually a need for academic education in the field and just get on one in that regard. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Sean Schwire. We'll be talking about development of rapport and matching and pacing and the like and I think we'll shed some light on ways to make the most out of those concepts. And we'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub, and all of whom, following their time, time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, please do go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. To give a rating, it basically involves you just having to do one click. I'll be a BFF if you do. So... First of all today is this week's interview with my guest Sean Schwer. Sean is an international public speaker, life coach based in the US in Colorado. He contacted me and I was intrigued with some of the things that he had to say, which we're going to be discussing later on in the show. For now though, get comfy my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome as this week's guest to Hypnosis Weekly, the one and only Mr. Sean Schwire. Sean, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Hey, thanks for having me. So, tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background. Um, um, How did you come to to be involved in this field? Um, um, And how have you arrived at where you are now? Tell us a bit about your background. You know, yeah, actually... Seeing where I am now, I never could have predicted what have gone through to experience getting here. And I first found hypnosis because I was going through some challenges myself and in a relationship, actually. And, and somehow I stumbled on hypnosis, and I found myself into a, a meetup group where we learned how to do hypnosis. And then right there, I was hooked, and I had to learn more. I had to figure out how to solve my problems. 
And then soon enough, I had to figure out how to solve other people's problems as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, um, where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned? Um, that is, you know, how, how do you define hypnosis and, and, and how have you, have you kind of arrived at that definition? And uh, is there a particular way in which you explain hypnosis to, 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 to your clients or, you know, people are interested at a dinner party and want to know how do you explain it to them? Where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned? Yeah, certainly. And so I learned about hypnosis and, and we first did like formal trances and stuff. And then I kept learning for, from more people such as Igor Legacosti and and those kind of people who were doing trance without the formal inductions and those kind of things. And so what I noticed is that the trance could be done generally anywhere where you're driving home from work or you're in a movie. And so it's just kind of different states that you're getting people in. And so eventually I found NLP and they were using hypnosis with normal talking conversations. And so what I've come to know hypnosis as is basically just pacing and leading where somebody is in some kind of state or some kind of uh, momentary trance state, as you would say, and you can take them to where you want to take them. Whereas hypnosis might have a certain eyes closed hypnotic phenomenon with it. You can also get similar kind of trance states just in normal conversations. So what I've noticed is that pacing and leading is always happening around us where you match somebody where they're at and then you take them where you want to go. If it's some kind of hypnosis where you're trying to help them with a problem, then it might involve some formal trance induction or something like that. And all these states, are they're kind of different. They're subjective for other people. I had the crazy experience when I first started where there was a woman and, and I took her into trance and I, I snapped my fingers at a, a change point for her and she just, she opened up her eyes and then she was still hypnotized, but her eyes were open mm. and she was, it was just remarkable for me because it, it showed me a different way that the hypnosis works where it's not necessarily always somebody with their eyes closed, sleep now kind of hypnosis but there there can be different kinds of hypnosis for different people yeah 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 absolutely absolutely so you mentioned Igor um, 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 do tell us a little bit about some of your some of your influences uh, your major influences perhaps even some of the some of the books and authors that have taught you the most some of the teachers that have been most influential upon you and perhaps some of the reasons why yeah, definitely. I love Milton Erickson, uh, the way that he thought about life and the, the things that he was able to do, the kind of implicit structure that he had for life. And and I found a lot about him through Richard Bandler, who I admire because he has such a, a cerebral outlook on different things of neurolinguistic programming. If he wants an outcome, he can take a different state, a different person's perspective, and he can try that on with ease. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't always agree with a lot of the stuff he does, what I find most powerful and profound is that he has the ability to, to switch in anybody. And when I was coming up in hypnosis and, and I uh, had interviewed several other people that were doing hypnosis, one of the, the teachers that I found, she would do where she would model her map for the world to yours. So if her map didn't fit your map, then it was going to be hard for her to teach you or to show you that new perspective that you needed for change. And what I mean about that is she would just, she would dictate how the way that she thought about life 
is the way that you should think about life. And so the popular one that she had was that life is a joyous experience. We're all, we're all sharing. And she had a client come to her and essentially they believe that life was a competition. And so when she was working with that person, it was a significant trouble for her. Um, but taking on uh, mindsets of Milton Erickson, some of Bandler as well, what I learned is that I could take on anybody's mindsets, meet them where they're at, and then take them somewhere else. Mm-hmm. What I've probably not mentioned so, so often is uh, – Leslie Cameron Bandler, and she has a phenomenal book that I always recommend called Solutions Yes, that really takes you through the therapeutic aspect of, of therapy, hypnosis, and some change work. And so that's what I've seen be profound. Also, the work of Robert Diltz and his theory on logical levels. Yeah, I use that a lot where he uses the hierarchy of, of ideas where it's essentially, is this problem about you? Is it about your identity? Is it about your environment, your competencies, what you're good at? Or is it about some kind of purpose that you might have? And so I found that to be profound as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um I definitely I found Robert Diltz to be to be my favourite of of the of, of of the big pioneers of NLP over the years. Um just seems like a really good guy. Um Yeah, and he's so relatable too. Yeah, absolutely. So um um tell us, you know, uh, through the years um um that you've been that you've been exploring this field and you've been working with it what's been what's been one of the most impressive applications of a hypnosis that you've directly witnessed sean absolutely and so doing hypnosis and and kind of moving into ways that i could be more direct and and know what's going on in change work what i've noticed is is that's been the challenge in it for me and and what's been most phenomenal to see in other people is where you work with them and you're not sure exactly what happened that made the change or how they changed. And sometimes they're not even sure of the change taking place. Mm. Um, what I mean by this is I've worked with a few people and just through talking with them or doing some kind of process in hypnosis with them, they've totally changed for the better and they don't even really realize it. And so you check in with them a few weeks or maybe a month later and life's totally, completely different from them. And they're not exactly sure what happened, but things are just different for them. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm sure you've had that experience. It's just, it's kind of profound when it's just, they're different and they're just, it's just a moment where things change for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sometimes it's quite difficult for them to actually recognize, um, um, to recognize and, and even to apportion the success of the session to, to what you did um, um certainly that makes a lot of sense to me and i think I, i'm guessing it'll make a lot of sense to to, to to the vast majority of our people that are listening um yeah um if you could go back you know when you first started out exploring this field um i mean and you were looking at hypnosis and nlp and the other you know, various things knowing knowing the stuff that you know now is there anything that you would do differently? Is there any advice that the person you are today would give that younger you uh, that you'd that you'd happily share with with our listeners? You know, there's not too much that I do differently. I was fortunate to have a, a meetup near my house where we essentially got together and did practice hypnosis, hypnosis, and that was phenomenal. Mm. And then we are also fortunate enough to have so much information on the internet 
the advice I'd give to other people is just make sure that you're watching out for the kind of advice on the internet these days. And, and what I like so much about what you do, Adam, is that it's real credible and applicable. And you know what you're doing and you can take the applicable steps and you can learn hypnosis in a practical way. And it can be done really easily. And sometimes you have people online that are trying to sell courses that just, they're not really of quality, I would say. Yeah. And so that's the only thing I would say to recommend for other people. Yeah. Um, and then just also know that everyone's perception of reality is, is somewhat subjective. While the way that you learn might not be the way that somebody else learns, find what's important for you and really take the steps and practice hypnosis. Whilst a lot of people are teaching hypnosis through like an online course, but really if you want to learn it, you got to practice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think um, um, there's some really good advice there. Um, I, I really appreciate that. What are your What are your thoughts with regards to um, some of the evidence based approaches that you know people like me keep harping on about on shows like this? Um, 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 do you have thoughts about those that that sort of side of hypnotherapy? You know, I I really encourage the evidence base, and the past few years, and it's really gotten a lot better. The, yeah. the hard part about it and the challenge is, is that everything is subjective. Our experience and what we're dealing with with changing and helping other people's change is a subjective reality yeah. where someone might come to me and they have some kind of issue, whether it's anxiety or some kind of trauma in their life. Their experience of that situation is going to be different from somebody else that labels that same experience with that same word. Yeah. And so while two people might come to me with the same trauma, the way that they experience that trauma can be totally different. And so also the way that I'm doing therapy or helping them get over that, their subjective experience of that can be totally different based on their systems, their representational systems, their channels of communication, and what they're receiving from me as well. Yeah. And so that, that I find to be the challenging part. And while you may be able to put some kind of labels on it and say that you're doing this one technique and that's going to help a lot. The challenge really becomes that the, the whole human's experience is subjective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, it's, um, um, it's a really valid point and one that gets, gets mentioned often on the show. Um, you spoke earlier about, um, um, about this notion of pacing and leading and, and we're going to go into that in, in, in some real major depth uh, uh, later on. Um, and for now, uh, Sean, where can people go to learn more about you, about your work, your approach, and so on? Yeah, my, my company is called Altershift, and we're located at www.altershift.com. Altershift.com. And there will be a link to that website um, on this episode's page of the hypnosis weekly website as well uh, go have a look www.altershift.com um, we will be back with sean schwier in just a few moments time i enjoyed that we will be back with sean in a little while Instead of this week's um, hypnosis in the news, then I'm using this slot, as I've done on occasion in the past, to speak about a topic that I feel strongly about. Um, the usual hypnosis in the news section will be back next time, okay, for those of you that, that like it. 
I just felt compelled to take up arms, if you like, in response to a topic that I see getting banded around here, there and everywhere, especially on on forums, very particular forums about whether or not hypnotherapy training should be academic or, or, or have, you know, an academic component to it. Um, I've been in class a lot throughout uh, the past couple of weeks, uh, but my schedule was punctuated by me attending a seminar at, uh, that was held at my gym, a uh, brilliant gym that I, I attend, that was delivered, uh, the seminar was delivered by Olympic weightlifter Sonny Webster. Now, this man, th- this is an incredible athlete, he's such an inspiration, at least I find him to be incredibly inspiring. Um, I've been bitten by the weightlifting bug recently, those that follow my blog, you'll know about that, but, but the insight that I got from him about my technique and so on was, was invaluable as, as I'm moving forward and looking to, to, to develop my own skills in this area. What really fascinated me, though, um, was his story about the fact that his goal from the age of 11 was to was to weightlift at the Olympics. He worked towards it, made incredible sacrifices, trained uh, and dedicated himself until finally he got there. He got to the Olympics representing GB, Team GB. Then he stepped up for his first lift at his, you know, the first lift at his dream event, the Olympics, and he fluffed the 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 lift. I mean, I mean he actually used a slightly stronger, bluer word, um, um, but he then explained his psychological strategy as he stepped up for his second lift with with the cameras on him, lights on him, a nation watching him. Having fluffed his previous lift, he simply examined what he did, compartmentalized the previous lift, and adopted a sober, regimented process that was successful. And I really loved hearing it. You know, from the from the kind of sports psychology perspective I you know this was just music to my ears I loved it what really impressed me with regards to Sonny Webster is that Sonny also studied his subject at degree level he understands it you know deeply profoundly and when he was faced with a crisis he was able to draw upon a depth of knowledge you know he was able to examine what he did and what, what was going on for himself with his technique and so on even for something that is a wholly, what well, seemingly wholly practical sporting skill, he believed and recognised the importance of theoretical underpinning and having a depth of understanding. And he believed it was useful to those that he coaches and so on. It made him better. It made his clients better. During one of my uh, one day seminars recently, um, one lady stated that perhaps my larger trainings were too academic for her, you know, and that she prefers things to be just just wholly practical and learn that way. She stated that within her own training, she'd not been expected to do any written work, for example, um, which I was a little aghast at. And this particular training that she was on, you know, there was a small amount of underlying rationale in the morning, but it was very practical. But because the practical elements were supported with academic underpinning, she felt that there was too much academia within that for her. You know, I, I couldn't really understand it. It took me a while to get my head round and consult um, colleagues and so on. Anyway, likewise, I've recently seen some posts on forums where people are claiming that perhaps a five day brief but wholly practical course is better. 
um, than, 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 you know, a 10 module diploma course. And somehow this teaches you more than, than the robust lengthy diploma course that details proper underpinning rationale and education. Um, interestingly, there is evidence to support, as I'm going to, as, as you will find out in next week's, um, 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 in, in, in next week's edition of Hypnosis Weekly, when I welcome Kate Beaven Marks uh, to the show, she talks about her own doctorate um, and and her her PhD research into hypnotherapy training, and and demonstrates clearly that that, that lengthier courses develop skill and develop knowledge much more effectively. Anyhow, I I even see people writing and repeating greatly this idea that results are all that matter. We don't need theory or academic stuff. We just need to learn and regurgitate practical skills that work. You know, firstly, you know, some people that glibly suggest much of the discussion is purely academic demonstrates that they might not understand that correct understanding of hypnosis and the psychoeducation of our clients actually will lead them to developing self-efficacy. And ultimately, the evidence suggests that that leads to better therapeutic outcomes. Secondly, probably more importantly, as far as I'm concerned, is that if things don't always go as planned in the therapy room, having a depth of knowledge will permit you to understand what's going on, allow you to edit what you're doing, seek out thorough and robust answers and solutions. If you have no deeper understanding and you're only able to rely on the regurgitation of practical skills, that's going to leave you wanting in this respect. You know, just as Sonny Webster said, you know, doctors, nurses, psychologists, every other mental health care professional, they're all expected to know their subject, to learn from research, to know it in depth. Like I said, even Olympic weightlifters believe it's important to properly know their subject and study it deeply. If we really want to bring this field, the hypnotherapy field, out of the fringes where it exists currently, then we need you guys, you guys with the anti-intellectual stance, you guys that don't believe in academic um, understanding as far as our subject is concerned, we need you to move out of the way because you are holding us back. As a field, we'll not develop credibility or respect of the public while we deny the value of a proper education. Education that gives both sides of each debate and not just one offering of a dogmatic singular stance of what the trainer believes. We need an education that has academic underpinning that will feed the practical skills and lead to greater understanding. Education that teaches us to critically examine and assess what we're being taught and to question much of the so-called received wisdom that so many hypnotherapists believe are truth and facts that are actually disputed by academics and research. You know, the vast majority of the field don't even know that what they're saying or doing is, 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 is disputed by academics and research and is potentially wrong. That's professionalism. You know, that's being responsible that is a thorough education and you know lacking that leads to so many in this field truly struggling and it leads to our field being portrayed in a less than favorable light in the safety of your like-minded groups and forums at facebook you may disagree but in the wider world i'm telling you now there is a big shift away from that 
from the anti-intellectualism. I'm going to put a couple of links um, um, over at this episode's page uh, of the Hypnosis Weekly website, articles that I've written that I think um, um, over the years have addressed this notion and I hope give you more of an informed idea as to why I think this is so important. Please, please, I urge you, regular listeners, don't get sucked into the cult of anti-intellectualism. It's not good for the field. It's not good for your business. Why not champion the idea of actually understanding your field and being an awesome, educated professional? Um, Like I said, there's going to be some links to those articles that I've referred to here listed on the page of this week's uh, podcast episode over at www.hypnosis-weekly.com. So next up, we have this week's professional discussion. Um, I welcome back Sean Schwer. Um, When I first communicated with Sean, he was explaining the way he utilises matching and pacing as part of the way he builds rapport with his clients. And it's not really a topic that we've covered before on this show, because I think a lot of people consider it to be a fairly fundamental part of their training and a subject that they've got covered. However, Sean seemed to shine some light on other applications and ideas that really appealed to me. Um, and this, you know, and, and that's no mean feat because typically I've tended to differentiate between rapport and uh, a, you know a therapeutic working alliance. I've tended to have less interest in teaching how to develop rapport on my courses and more interest in teaching clients how to develop an effective therapeutic alliance. I think rapport tends to be more favoured within the field of NLP. Um, at, at least that's been my experience, and it tends to focus more on the two individuals or 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 group um, liking each other. Whereas a working alliance tends to be more interested with the development of credibility and mutual respect that will fuel the therapy. Though, of course, you know, there's crossover. Um, But I was keen to have my own interest reignited by Sean and, and his enthusiasm for this topic. So here is this week's professional discussion with Sean Schwier. Enjoy. I'm back now with uh, this week's Hypnosis Weekly guest, Sean Schwier. And um, when Sean and I were discussing um, um, via email uh, the, the, the topic for this week's discussion, one of the areas that um, that he spoke about and 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 sort of. Uh, well, one of the predominant areas that, that Sean teaches and instructs others on is this notion of pacing and leading. And I'm guessing that some people will be familiar with that and some people less so. Um, and, but one of the things that really piqued my interest was that Sean wrote to me and he said, you know, for me, all hypnosis, NLP and relationships um, are about effective pacing and leading. Um, Sean, welcome back. Just just tell me, and, and for anybody listening um, that doesn't know, could you just explain a little bit, what, what do we mean by pacing and leading, first of all? What are we talking about here? Sure, absolutely. Pacing is, is generally based on the notion of rapport, and rapport is super hugely important in both hypnosis, NLP, and any kind of communication relationships that you have. Rapport is basically just sameness with somebody else. It's the ability to meet somebody where they're at, say in a hypnotic context, if I want to help somebody with their problem, I meet them where they think about the 
And this can be done tangibly in relationships where you're matching somebody's body language or you're talking about similar things as somebody cares about Mm -hmm. or trying to understand them. Yeah. Getting a sameness of experience with somebody else. And then once you have that, that sameness, then you can build bridges and you can build bigger and bigger bridges to lead them somewhere. And so this is the process of pacing and leading. Once you have that rapport, that sameness, then you can move on. You can do some kind of added gesture. You can ask them a question that takes them in a new direction. You can show them a new perspective on the problem that they might have. And as long as you have enough rapport, they're generally going to be able to follow you in that new direction. There's a few other things that are that are required or recommended, I would say. But generally, it's just about having that rapport, that sameness, and that's the pacing part. And then the leading part where it's some kind of new introduction introduced to the, the relationship, or the dynamic of it. Mm-hmm. And and so, so, so how is your interest in this area developed and 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 how has your how has your how how has it come to be that that you've you've sort of focused in on this area so beautifully you know for me it made so much sense learning about hypnosis and also learning about nlp basically if i developed enough rapport with anybody i could pretty much lead them anywhere i wanted to go and that was the phenomenal thing about relationships And what I saw in dating and helping others with dating as well is that if somebody built enough rapport and put out a a few small bridges and somebody followed them along their bridges, they were willing to follow them along more bridges. And so where it's the case where you you first meet somebody and there's not very much rapport, you build that rapport with somebody and then you can build a relationship, the connection, you can take it further by including new challenges, new things to the relationship and you can take it somewhere new, of course, at that point, you also have to know where you're going as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So so give, give us some ideas with regards to um, the sort of practical applications and, and perhaps, you know, the, the, the less tangible and less practical applications with regards to pacing and leading um, that, we're, that, that, that our listeners are likely to encounter. Sure. So, I mean, first in a hypnotic context, often what happens is you match the person's breathing. This is pacing at at its finest. You match their breathing and then you start telling them to breathe in and breathe out. And then you lead them in their breathing to where it's a more soft and slower breath, more hypnotic in in rhythm. And ultimately you get them to a place of, of real sameness where your pacing is right on point with them. And you lead them into that hypnotic trance. Where you might see it in real life is if maybe you first meet somebody and then you start getting a feel for them and talking with them. You'll talk about common interests. And then a pacing statement could be, are you interested in this, for example? Maybe you guys are talking about business and common relationships. But one other person wants to talk sports or something. That's a, a leading statement. If the other person grabs on, in some kind of I love that sports team, or maybe he doesn't like sports teams, but he likes you enough like your interest in the sports, what's behind the interest. And so that's a way that they could grab onto it and also follow you with that leading statement. Uh, I see this most common with relationships. Generally in romantic relationships, 
relationships, if you can pace and lead effectively, it can lead to tremendously more passionate relationships where, say, for example, on the first date you meet them, there's a basis of rapport established. On the second month, there's a general basis of rapport established that's more significant. But if you keep challenging and, and growing the relationship with more leading statements, more leading actions, you can take it even further with the amount of connection that you can have with somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I suppose as well as just, just in, in terms of themes and, and, you know, themes of conversation, the, 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 those conversations are also leading to places where, where we get to explore one another's beliefs and attitudes. And these are things that can be paced and, and, and leading can occur with, within those areas as well. Oh, absolutely. Those are huge ones, too, because sometimes some great limitations occur in a relationship or, or any kind of connection that you might have with somebody that prevents them from going further. And so like all pacing and leading, to get somebody over a limiting belief, you have to first meet them at that belief, that pacing part, and then you have to challenge them and expand their model of the world to have them show that that belief may be limiting or impoverishing, and then you take them to some kind of new belief that might be even more beneficial for them. And so I'm guessing that when we start looking at pacing and leading in terms of things like beliefs and attitudes and in the way in which you've described as well as, as my question was going, that also pacing and leading thereby can become therapeutic. So as well as just, you know, being something that, that I think is probably more prominently known and associated with, with rapport development, that actually pacing and leading you know, has the potential and, and, and the, the, the application there to be to be a therapeutic tool as well as as well as a, a rapport development tool. Absolutely. And and really it's it comes to trust with a, a client in some kind of therapeutic context. If he tells you that his problem is this and he represents it in this way and you don't believe him or you tell him that it should be a different way then it's going to be hard for him to trust you about that because he's told you about his experience and you didn't really believe it. You didn't match his experience. And so it's going to be hard for him to follow you into a new experience or a new belief or a new perspective on life. Yeah. 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 I get that. Um, um, I know sometimes, sometimes we have, um, I think sometimes, for example, within within trainings, I've seen people um, attempt to articulate pacing and leading in terms of making friends with strangers and so on. And um, sometimes, you know, it, it, as it, as a way of developing rapport, people have tended to to to, to just use agreement. That is to to agree with the stance that someone else is taking. Um, so so. Where do we go with regards to pacing and leading if, for example, it's, it's, it's against our values, for example? You know, is, is, is it okay to pace somebody um, 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 even if it's a value that we don't firmly believe in or hold ourselves? And do we run the risk of, of breaking rapport if we're not pacing that value, for example? Or, or, or are, there, are there ways around that? Yeah, I love, love this question, and that's... That's definitely the common response that I get in my tra trainings when 
people were trying to build rapport with somebody. They want to talk about the content and they want to get into like specific beliefs that they have and agree with each other. Yeah. And I don't find that this is always necessary. What I tell people to do is the, to chunk up the values. And so we had it recently in, in America with the, the politics and stuff. And yes. you don't have to like the same person in politics. You don't have to like the same belief. You don't have to have the same perspective on something to find rapport with somebody. And so what I tell people is, is that you can always find rapport with somebody, even if it's just at the human experience level. And so what this means and what I explain it to be is, is that we might not agree on the specifics of something, but we can agree on certain kind of feelings or the human experience of something. And while you might like this one political candidate and I might like this other political candidate, we can agree that we w both want the best for our country or we both want the best life for us to live. And that's at a common place where if I'm trying to build rapport with somebody else and say, for example, it's like um, we have a young boy and we have an elderly woman, mm. maybe the young boy loves comic books and the elderly woman doesn't really have an experience of it. She does, though, have an experience of passion, of fun, of excitement. And so she can relate to the passion, the fun, and the excitement. She can also see that with the young boy's experience of the comic books. If she can bring that out and bring that common theme to it, oh, why do you like comic books? What does that do for you? Oh, because you like the fun, you like the enjoyment, and you're heroes in this. Well, that's something that anybody can relate to because they've had the experience of fun or they've had the experience of excitement. That's more easy to do than agreeing on the specifics. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Take it to a slightly higher level of abstraction where we can find the agreement. And what's interesting about that is is that works in pacing and leading too. While, say for example, that this one person likes this political candidate and, and I like another political candidate, I can agree with them on the best interest of my country. Yeah. And then we can start chunking down and seeing where we have disagreements. But using such processes and, and concepts as parts of integration – we can still find sameness in the similar ideas where we want this specific thing to achieve this more general goal for us, this value. And so for maybe it's healthcare being taken care of. I want that so I can live longer. You know, a common thing that we all probably have, and it's the specifics and the details that get lost in everything. But once we agree on the higher purpose, then we can start agreeing on the lower more finite details yeah yeah absolutely and i think i think you know sometimes you can still develop rapport through things like respect and you know agreeable communication even if you don't agree you know even if you don't agree on the finer details would i be would i be right in saying that absolutely yeah 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 um um uh, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated in this subject and I'm, you know, I, I, I could just, uh, I, we, we could just carry on as far as I'm concerned <laughs> um, um, without without end. But where can people go and learn? Um, you've mentioned that, you know, this is something that you help instruct others on. If people want to go and learn more about, about this and get into this in a bit more detail or want to ask you some questions, is it the same website? Yeah, you can go to altershift.com. Uh, we're developing some seminars. Uh, it's still still up and coming and everything 
Uh, but altershift.com is my website, and we'll continue to grow. And as this uh, the demand for pacing and leading and all this hypnosis and NLP grows here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, um, like I said earlier within our interview, there will be a link over to Sean's website, www.altershift.com. Um, all that remains for me to say, Sean Schwire, thank you for coming and being a part of this week's Hypnosis Weekly. Appreciate you having me on, Adam. Keep up the good work. I enjoyed that. I really appreciated Sean's responses to my questions, um, to the notions of not having to agree with someone to maintain rapport and being able to acknowledge beliefs and values for, for therapeutic gain, you know, over and beyond just kind of rapport development. So on to this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. The fact of the week is that uh, living in the present correlates with high hypnotizability. So highly hypnotizable individuals tend to live in the present rather than worrying about the the past and the future. And this is some research by Spiegel and Spiegel, David and Herbert, uh, conducted back in 2004. And it's this capacity to dissociate past and future concerns in the service of focus in the present that's a highly valued goal of um, Eastern Buddhist meditative techniques that are promoted by um, um, John Kabat-Zinn and colleagues throughout the 80s and 90s, um, whose work still thrives today. And this is seen in Eastern tradition as producing equanimity, you know, an ability to absorb and put into perspective the stresses of everyday life. And so, yeah, typically um, living in the present is correlated with high hypnotizability. Awesome. So that's it for this week's 70th edition. I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. Next time out, I welcome Kate Beaven-Marks, and we'll be discussing raising standards in hypnotherapy training. And Kate shares much insight into that topic from her own doctoral research studies. Tune in for that. Um, I think you'll be pleased that you did. Um, all the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again to Sean Schwire. My thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.